live from New York. I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Belarus border battle violence escalates as the migrant standoff continues. Pipeline pressure, Germany delays approval of Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas link. And playing with fire, President Xi warns Biden over Taiwan during their three-hour, quote, healthy debate. It's Tuesday. Let's make a move. A warm welcome to First Move once again and plenty in store for you today. We're taking stock of the ongoing global sales and spending splurge. U.S. retail sales data rising by a stronger than expected 1.7% in October, driven by car sales, furniture, electronics and building materials, among others. Consumers seemingly not put off yet by higher prices. Retail giants like Walmart and Home Depot certainly benefiting with Walmart raising their forecast for the holiday season. Season. We will discuss later on in the show. And coming up, we'll hear from the CEO of Restaurant Brands International. That's the parent company of global franchises like Burger King. We'll find out how they're dealing with the whopper-sized challenges in labor and food prices. Yum. From enthusiastic eating to food delivery and e-commerce in Africa, the CEO of retail marketplace and payments app Jumia will join us with all the latest news from the continent. And in the meantime, buyers are still trying to get in gear on Wall Street with the majors just 1% away from record highs. In stock this Tuesday, healthy debate, quote, between Presidents Biden and Xi. No breakthroughs, though, from the three-hour summit between the Chinese and U.S. presidents, but no stumbles either, as Asian markets, I think, reflect. Out of stock, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies falling sharply on fresh fears of China's crackdown. Tesla shares also sinking towards bear market territory as Elon Musk continues to sell. And on order, all still at sea, the fate of Fed Chair Jay Powell Bloomberg saying the news, a decision on whether he stays or goes, is imminent. So lots coming up. Let's get to the drivers. And chaotic scenes at the Belarusko-Polish border. Polish guards have fired tear gas and water cannons at migrants who in turn have thrown stones as they attempt to cross into Poland. And of course the EU. Poland accuses Belarus of equipping migrants with stun grenades. Matthew Chance is at the border in Belarus and has been now for some days. Matthew, great to have you with us. Chaotic scenes, as I mentioned there, perhaps no surprise in light of what you've been telling us over the last two days, that things turned to conflict. It it has. I mean, it's a desperate situation here amongst the migrants that have gathered here on the Belarusian-Polish uh, border. They're living in very, you know, kind of exposed conditions. As you can see, there's a, a guy here I've just met from Iraq, Kurd- Kurdistan, right? Everybody here's from Iraq, Kurdistan. Um, uh, he's cooking some chicken, which is the first food he's had uh, for some some days on this on this campfire. But that frustration that has been expressed in terms of desperation uh, bubbled out into anger earlier today, and there were dramatic scenes right here uh, on the uh, on the on the fence which divides. Belarus from Poland, uh, where you can see there's a gap in the fence there where the children are now playing, just a few metres away from where the Polish border guards are standing to protect the Polish and the European Union borders. They're determined not to let anybody in. But there were migrants throwing stones at those guards, throwing um, you know, kind of logs as well, uh, trying to push their way, force their way into the European Union. Uh, the Poles responded in kind, if you like, they uh, basically didn't didn't move. They brought in tear gas, uh, uh, rather water cannons. Sorry, 
uh, water cannons, which they brought in, which they sprayed the migrants with. Some of the water had a kind of pepper component in it, and so it was quite acrid, and it stung everybody's eyes. I mean, I got covered in it myself, and so I can talk from first-hand experience. The, the worst of the violence happened right over here, which is the sort of main entry point, the official crossing from Belarus into Poland. It's all being cleared up now. Um, and, and the refugees have been moved back to this location. But earlier there were, there were scenes, really, really violent scenes, uh, Julia, taking place there. We've just been told uh, by the Belarusian uh, border agency that the process is underway now of, sort of splitting up these refugees a bit. Some of them are going back to the, the camp near the border in the middle of the woods uh, where we've been reporting from over the past week or so. But others, including women and children, people who have a medical condition, apparently are now, tonight, going to be taken to what is being called the logistical centre, a short distance from here, away from the border. It's inside, and so that's a huge improvement given the freezing conditions here. And they'll be given food and medical attention uh, by um, the, uh, the Belarusian Red Cross. And so that's um, a positive development for them individually. And of course, it, 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 it gives us this idea that the Belarusians are trying to pull back from the brink when it comes to this crisis. Matthew, I know I have to let you go, but very quickly, does that mean families are going to be separated, men from, from women and children? Um, that, that's not my understanding. Some families, I was told, will be just going back to the camp, but you know, it's, it's people who have particular medical conditions who want to go inside, they're being taken there. Thank you, Matthew. And great to have you with us. Stay safe, please. Matthew Chance there on the Belarus border. OK, let's move on. Germany suspending a decision to certify the controversial Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. The move putting further upward pressure on natural gas prices. The pipeline was built to bring gas from Russia to Germany, bypassing the existing route through Ukraine, whose state energy provider welcomed the suspension. Anna Stewart has been following the story for us. Let's just take a step back. Anna, from the, the decision that Germany made here, they're staring down the barrel, Germany, of a impending migrant crisis, as we were just discussing there with those migrants looking to get into the EU. Um, they're at loggerheads with Russia over the situation in Ukraine, too, as are other EU nations. Um, and then this decision today. A coincidence or otherwise? <laughs> yeah, this decision on the face of it, a technical legal issue to do with the operator of the pipeline in Germany needing to be a German subsidiary separate to the supplier. But listen, you cannot separate this pipeline in particular from politics at any stage, let alone given the timing and the tension between Russia, Ukraine and the EU. This pipeline, Nord Stream 2, is a twin to Nord Stream 1. What it seeks to do is to pipe gas directly from Russia under the Baltic Sea to Germany, bypassing Ukraine critically and very controversially. And I'll tell you why. One reason is it would severely reduce the transit fees, the transit revenue that Ukraine gets. That's around a billion dollars a year I've seen overall for transit revenue. Secondly, it could reduce Ukraine's influence in Western Europe, given Western Europe won't be as reliant on Ukraine being stable to receive its gas. And thirdly, to take the more extreme view, it actually would remove a real deterrent from Russian interference in Ukraine, given currently Ukraine is still quite important uh, for Russian uh, revenue in terms of gas exports. And I think this is exactly what we've been seeing now for many, many months, years, frankly, given all the opposition around Eastern Europe from the US and particularly Ukraine to the pipeline. And just last night, Julia, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson speaking at Guildhall 
made the point that European countries, he says, are now facing a choice between these giant new pipelines from Russia, he says, and sticking up for Ukraine and championing the case of peace and stability. Yeah, and this is a critical point, isn't it? And we can throw in the Americans here, very concerned that actually this increases the EU's reliance on on energy from Russia rather than trying to reduce some of that reliance. Um, What we've seen is a short-term spike in gas prices that have already been incredibly hot, Anna, but this is not, Mm. let's be clear, about unable to have any impact on short-term gas supplies. This is, to your point, about the future. Yes, because no matter what we've heard from Russian politicians, that if this pipeline were to be approved today, there would be more gas supplying through Europe. Analysts we've spoken to have said that this wouldn't actually increase gas supplies to Europe for many months, probably into the second or third quarter of next year, because it is a lengthy process. Um, What this is really risking is current supply of gas into Europe, given the political situation seems to be souring. And the fact that, as you say, Europe relies on Russia for gas. Over 40% of the EU's gas currently comes from Russia. That is likely to increase, given Europe's needs for more gas is likely to increase as they transition from dirtier energies. Um, This pipeline would increase the capacity that Russia could pipe gas to Europe. But I will... I will say there is some scepticism from Alice I've spoken to that this would overall increase how much gas Russia actually pipes to Europe in the future. It might just mean that less is transiting through Ukraine, of course, and more is going under the sea. But there's a lot at play here. And clearly, investors very, very worried about what this means for now and for the future. Yeah, but for now, at least, Germany holds the cards. Or at least Switzerland, wherever the certification needs to take place. (laughs) Hmm. Anna Stewart, thank you so much for that. Okay, let's move on. President Xi of China warning the U.S. on Taiwan as the two held their most substantial talks since Joe Biden took office. President Xi telling the U.S. president, quote, whoever plays with fire will get burned. The virtual summit lasted a longer than expected three and a half hours. U.S. officials describing it as a, quote, healthy debate. David Colbert joins me now and plenty to debate, be it climate issues, be it technology transfers, be it, of course, Taiwan. And that's actually where I want to hone in, David, because obviously we had that quote, don't play with fire. We also had Taiwan saying that Chinese state media misrepresents them. And In China, I just wonder whether they understand the strategic importance, the economic importance of Taiwan and their production of semiconductors and why perhaps the United States is so nervous every time China makes a comment as far as Taiwan is concerned. Do they understand? I think, Julia, it is deeply understood here. I mean, you talk about trying to secure any sort of energy line here, as well as the production of semiconductors. I mean, that's something that China has been adamant about moving forward with. They're they're trying to make sure that they can maintain those supply lines and even try to keep them within mainland. And in their opinion, Taiwan is part of China. It's part of their sovereign territory. Of course, The self-governing island has a different take on all of that. But this was a meeting that really, I think, surprised a lot of folks in the sense of they say it went longer than expected. But as you pointed out, there's multiple topics they had to get through. They had about three and a half hours altogether as they were talking. I broke it down. I mean, that's roughly 25, 30 minutes per seven or eight topics that they were going through. So, you know, it's not equally split, but there is a lot to get through. It is a heavy amount of material to, to comb through and find an agreement in all of this. Well, that's just incredibly challenging. So the overall focus was, let's look at competition over conflict. A pandemic-style face-to-face meeting. 
the first time President Joe Biden speaking virtually with Chinese President Xi Jinping. The conversation lasting more than three hours, covering a range of issues that have brought relations between these two countries to an all-time low. A senior U.S. administration official calling the talks respectful, straightforward, and open. A healthy debate in which Biden was clear and candid on a range of human rights concerns. In response, Xi telling Biden that China is ready to have dialogues on human rights on the basis of mutual respect. But we oppose using human rights to meddle in other countries' internal affairs. On trade, Biden also pressing Xi to uphold China's commitments to the Phase 1 trade deal, negotiated under former President Trump. They also talked Taiwan, China's so-called red line. China has been putting military pressure on the self-ruling democracy, firm in believing it should be reunified under Beijing control. Xi stressing that on Taiwan, the U.S. is playing with fire. Following the meeting, Chinese state media immediately reporting their version, tweeting, Biden reiterates that the U.S. government does not support Taiwan independence. But the White House had a different take, in a statement stressing, The United States strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. To ensure that the competition between our countries does not veer into conflict. China and the United States need to increase communication and cooperation. The meeting, as expected, yielding no major outcomes. The sort of the long-term structural challenges between the U.S. and China have really yet to be addressed. This could be the start of a process for that to happen. Perhaps the warm gestures, a sign of progress encountering the frigid relations. And Julia, when you look at those images of the back and forth, it's not just a one-on-one. You had both of those leaders flanked by their top officials. For the U.S., the Secretaries of State Treasury, as well as the National Security Advisor, China had its counterparts to those positions represented as well. Why does that matter? Because you ask the question, where does this go next? Well, it's according to one senior administration official with the U.S., going to be up to those empowered officials to then take some of the talking points and eventually turn them into action. And that's huge, as you know, because if it's something that's just amongst the top, oftentimes it doesn't trickle down. But for those individuals to be in that meeting, to be part of this discussion, well, that says something about perhaps the substance that we might see coming out of this going forward. Absolutely. I mean, I loved your point about competition over conflict. And I think the other point we should make here as well about the timing is it's done through translators. And you have to be incredibly careful that there aren't misunderstandings with the English and the Chinese and the translation that takes place as well, which is critical here as well. It's a great Um, point because it's also not scripted. That's true. And it usually is. Absolutely. So when you're having freewheeling conversations with two of the most powerful men in the country, making sure that the translation is absolutely as precise as it can be is critical. Um, And on that point, actually, um, towards that point, at least, President Biden made a comment that I thought was very important. He said the importance here is that neither man walks away wondering what the other man is thinking, whether they've spoken about something or not. The intentions. Yeah. Do you think we're at that stage? I think we're at a stage where, you know, perhaps if we're at the boiling point, because it's been equated to temperature, right. uh, perhaps we're just simmering right now. And, yeah. and as far as what the next steps are, you know, both sides seem to want some sort of stability. I think that seems to be understood. One thing I have seen in state media here that I haven't seen in more than two years 
is a positive headline. Multiple ones at that when it comes to the U.S. and China in the same sentence and things that are uplifting, suggesting that perhaps this is the right track. There's a lot more to go on this. There is still a lot more to be accomplished. But at least to have that type of rhetoric versus the wolf warrior rhetoric that we have been experiencing for more than two years now, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something positive, right? Yeah, there's a path, whereas before I'm not sure we could see one at all. David Culver, right. great, as always, to have your context. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Okay, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories that are making headlines around the world. Jurors in the Carl Rittenhouse homicide trial are set to begin deliberations today. The prosecution and defence rested their cases on Monday. Rittenhouse shot and killed two men and wounded a third during racial equality protests in Wisconsin last year. He says he acted in self-defence. New COVID-19 rules take effect today in the German state of Bavaria as officials try to curb a new spike in cases. Unvaccinated citizens over 12 years old are currently banned from restaurants, hotels and other public places. Berlin implemented similar restrictions on Monday. In Uganda's capital, at least three people have been killed and 33 have been wounded in a pair of suicide explosions. One blast went off near a police station and the other was detonated close to Parliament. Authorities have linked the explosions to an Islamic rebel group, ADF, which claimed responsibility for another attack last month. Still to come here on First Move is snapping up sandwiches. Burger King's parent restaurant Brands buys Firehouse Subs, the CEO, on expanding the empire next. And DIY drive shopping sprees at Walmart and Home Depot, earning sore as homeowners get busy. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. A lot of window shopping pre-market on Wall Street. Not so much intention to buy as yet. Europe, in the meantime, gaining with the DAX on track for its fifth straight record close. All this as the U.S. reports its biggest retail sales jump in seven months, an encouraging sign for the upcoming holiday shopping season. Consumers still spending even as they worry about rising prices. Home Depot shares set to rally after its Q3 earnings beat. Walmart currently lower, though, despite raising its sales and profit guidance. The massive size of these retailers allows them to better withstand supply chain worries and adjust for it, as well as inflationary pressures. Restaurant Brands International is taking more than a bite out of Firehouse Subs, buying the sandwiches chain for $1 billion. You've likely eaten at one of RBI's restaurants. It owns Burger King, Tim Hortons and Popeyes, which are run as franchises. Firehouse Subs itself is based in most U.S. states, Puerto Rico and Canada, with further international growth now potentially on the menu. Joining us is the chief executive of RBI, Jose Sil. Sir, fantastic to have you on the show. Let's talk about that recent acquisition. What does that and what potential do you see in that acquisition? Talk to us about potential international expansion, too, if that is on the menu indeed. Absolutely. Uh, Good morning, Julia. Great to see you again. Uh, we're really excited about this uh, this acquisition and, and uh, Firehouse Subs joining the RBI family. We've got great brands with Burger King, Tim Hortons, and Popeyes. And, and now the addition of Firehouse Subs uh, really gets us excited about the opportunity for growth. Uh, Firehouse is a, is a great brand. It started in 1994 here in, uh, in Florida, in Jacksonville. And they've grown tremendously to 1,200 locations. And, and in fact, they've grown their footprint uh, by threefold since 2010, and they've grown their system-wide sales by, by uh, fourfold since the same period of time. Uh, it's a differentiated purpose-driven brand. 
really great subs, uh, uh, hot subs that um, that are uh, best in class in uh, in the sub uh, sandwich space, uh, and and we think they have tremendous room for growth here in the U.S. in Canada as well, where they recently started and now have nearly 50 restaurants, uh, and then internationally, we think there's a tremendous uh, opportunity for growth as well. We as as RBI and with our brands have tremendous strength uh, from a development standpoint uh, internationally, and we think the combination. Uh, of that great brand and, and the potential and the unit economics that exist, plus our uh, incredible uh, uh, network of master franchisees is a really powerful combination. Yeah, you know what you're doing. I mean, we were just showing some of the stats here, 27,000 restaurants plus around the world operating in different uh, 100 plus countries. Uh, you have a sense of where potentially this could work, where internationally? Can you give us a hint? Well, we, we just opened up in, uh, in Puerto Rico probably five or six years ago, as well as in Canada, and, and the brand's doing really well. Actually, the unit economics uh, in both those uh, markets are, are stronger uh, on top of the already strong uh, U.S. unit economics. Mm. We, we think there's potential in a number of places in Europe, uh, Julia, uh, also uh, in Latin America, uh, and, and even potentially in Asia Pacific. So we, we just inked a deal. Uh, Sunday night at 11.54 p.m. So we're, <laughs> yeah, we're still working through. Give you some time. Some <laughs> we're just getting started here, but, uh, but it's really exciting and it's a great team. I like to catch you when you haven't had much sleep and ask you some of the tough questions. <laughs> um, in light of that fact, what about more acquisitions? I mean, you know, I was just looking through your latest earnings. You are generating a lot of cash. You've bumped up the amount of money that you're providing or giving back to your shareholders, a $1 billion share repurchase program. I mean, you have the cash available, whether you're choosing that it's best to give it back to shareholders rather than perhaps invest in other things. Are you are you still looking for potential uh um, portfolio acquisitions and, and things that can perhaps add some further diversity to to, to your portfolio now. Well, I, I think that's what's great about our, our company and, and our business is that we generate we're, uh, a lot of free cash flow, and we have the ability to uh, to invest that cash into our business as we've had we've done with Tim Hortons and with Burger King. Uh, we've, we've we also have the ability to give back to shareholders with a best in class dividend as we currently do, and and with share repurchases as we've done as well, and, and we share it after the, the third quarter. And we've done accretive uh, M&A as well with Tim Hortons, mm-hmm. with Popeyes, and, and now with, uh, uh, with Firehouse Subs. So we, we have a lot of flexibility and optionality, always with a mindset of doing the right thing for the shareholders and creating value for the business. I mean, let's talk about your current brands. Um, you've obviously got, as we've mentioned, Burger King, Popeyes, Tim Horton. I was just looking again through some of the challenges, and I'm sure you're sick of talking to them, whether it's rising food prices or it's labor shortages here in the United States. And that's had a material impact or been a challenge for, for Popeyes specifically. I read 40% of stores have at some point had to reduce capacity. Where does that stand today and what's the workaround? Is it paying workers more? Is it different hours? Is it perhaps altering the menu items to, to reduce the number of people that you require in stores? What are your franchisees saying? Yeah, that, that we, ha- we have an incredible group of franchise partners, Julia, for, for the entire business, um, for, for Popeyes, for Burger King, for Tim Hortons, and, and the same for, for Firehouse Subs. They, they've been doing a, an incredible uh, job, even in a very difficult uh, circumstance here. Uh, and, and what they were doing is focusing on, on, an, on talent acquisition now and, and finding different means to, uh, to attract people into the business. They've, we've been testing, uh, accepting applications by, by text or SMS. 
Uh, we've we've been doing uh, uh, big events in, uh, in in many of our different different markets around the U.S. and Canada to to create awareness of, of the great opportunities that exist in our business. Uh, there's also work to be done on uh, on making sure we simplify the operations so that we create a really positive environment in the restaurants, and uh, and and ultimately uh, creating a great uh, employee value proposition for for team members that join. Uh, the, these brands, because the opportunities for growth and for them to take on more responsibility and eventually maybe even become a franchise owner in our business is really compelling. Uh, and so we've, we're working together with our franchisees to create that environment. And, and in the meantime, in the in the near term, uh, things have gotten a little bit better uh, from where they were um, probably 90 days ago, uh, mm. four or five months ago. But it's still a, a priority for us and something we're working closely with the franchisees to address. Wow. It's a bit early in the morning for, for crispy chicken, but it does look very delicious. We are, we are showing some, um, some, some pictures of that. Um, uh, I want to talk to you about COP26 and sustainability. And we had one of the biggest, uh, the chairman of one of the biggest miners in the world on yesterday. And he made an interesting comment. He said, um, if you're turning around and saying that your net zero plans are 2050, then you don't have a plan because you can do it quicker if you know what you're doing. And I, I was sort of looking down and Obviously, it's a lot of work, as you've discussed, when you have franchises, you have them operating in over 100 different countries. But you do talk about 2050 as, as part of your plan. Can you accelerate that? What, what's the aim? And, you know, when someone goes into one of these stores and buys a burger, do they care about how sustainable restaurant brands are? What's your sense? Are you being pushed by your consumers and by your investors? And are you being pushed enough? Yeah, it's a it's a really important priority for us as a as a company, and it's something that that came to the fore probably a couple of years ago. It's it's been an issue uh, for some time that we've looked at, it, and we looked at it from an investor relations standpoint. We've looked at it mm. from a regulatory standpoint. But the reality is is that today it's becoming uh, a priority for the consumer. It's uh, it's also becoming a priority for the employees that we're trying to recruit to join our company. The really talented people that want to be part of of RBI and our and our great brands. Uh, they want to know what we're doing uh, to to make an impact on the environment. Um, and so it's important to me, it's important to our board, it's important to our entire company because it's important to our guests and to our uh, team members and folks that want to join the company. And so we've we've prioritized this. We've done the work. We've made an assessment. We didn't just come out with a press release and say, hey, we're going to get after this in, in 2030 and 2050. We actually did uh, a, a full assessment of our uh, carbon footprint around the world through every aspect, not just uh, the company stores that we own, but also franchise stores, the supply chain, distribution, the vehicles that are used by field teams and, and the distribution uh, company. So it's a, it's a pretty broad it's a lot. Uh, assessment. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, so we, we're committed to, to making an impact as fast as we can, but we want to make a real impact. This is not something cosmetic or aesthetic. We want to do the right thing. Uh, for the planet, for the uh, for for the people and the communities in which we operate, and and that's the aim and, and intent that we have as a company. But very quickly, so workers are actually saying to you, "Hey, what what do you feel about the planet? What do you represent in terms of sustainability?" Prospective workers are literally having these conversations with you before they come and join. Yeah, to, five days ago, I was I was at at, uh, at a university speaking to a number of of students, MBA as well as undergrad. Uh, and the first question, the second question, and the third question that came up were questions around uh, our sustainability plans uh, for each of the brands. And, uh, and it, it's important. It's really critical. And, and we, we believe it's critical as well as a priority for, for our company and for our brands. I love this generation. That's really awesome in my mind. <laughs> yes. Congratulations on the acquisition. And uh, come speak to us soon, please. Great to chat to you, as always.
Thank you, Julia. Silva, the CEO of Restaurant Brands International. Great to have you with us, sir. Thank you. The market opens next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. A bit of a tepid Tuesday on Wall Street. Investors not charging ahead just yet, even as new data shows U.S. consumers are most definitely charged up. Shoppers still snapping up cars, furnitures, electronics and home improvement materials. Overall spending rose 1.7 percent. That's the third straight monthly advance. Maybe buying early ahead of the holidays as well in case there are shortages. Tesla shares in the meantime bouncing a bit. After three straight days of losses, CEO Elon Musk has sold an additional chunk of stock, more than $900 million worth. Musk has now sold almost $8 billion of stock over the past six trading days, which continues to put downward pressure on the shares. Pfizer, meanwhile, opening lower. The company announcing a deal today that will make its COVID-19 antiviral pill widely available around the world, particularly to lower income countries. This is great news. Merck has entered into a similar agreement for distribution of its competing antiviral. E-commerce platform Jumia operates in 11 countries across Africa, with particular focus on Egypt and Nigeria. Its services include an online marketplace, food delivery, and a payment platform called Jumia Pay. And it's growing fast. Orders were up 28% in the third quarter and active users up some 8%. Joining us now is Sasha Ponyonek. He's co-founder and co-CEO of Jumia. Sasha, great to have you on the show once again. I remember in the second quarter, you went full acceleration speed on promoting, making sure that people across the continent were aware of Jumia and what you represented. Facebook, Google, influencers on social media. It looks like it paid off. Yeah, thank you, Julia, for having me. It's a pleasure to, to be with you again. And it's, I would say, starting to pay off, as you, as you pointed out. We've had a record number of orders, record number of uh, consumers, GMV growing. So I think it's paying off. And this is happening on the back of, of course, uh, good unit economics, right? Because we have been consistently improving our unit economics. So for us, as we announced a quarter ago, it's time to scale. It's time to bring the company to scale. And as we do that, also to achieve profitability through scale and very pleased with the results of Q3 and uh, hopefully uh, more growth to come in the future. Just in terms so that my viewers understand what you offer, I was just looking through, particularly on the payment side, people can now buy bus tickets in Nigeria. Students in Egypt can now pay their university fees using the app. This is not just a way of paying for a shopping order online or a clothing item. You really are scaling up the capabilities of of what the payment app represents. Is this the sort of growth and profitability potential in future for the for the company, do you think? It's one of them. Definitely, we want our core business, which is for consumers to buy, you know, physical goods to to continue to grow. And I think that's the core of the business. And definitely, we want to see a lot of growth in that. And we've seen a very good growth, especially, for example, of the fast-moving consumer goods category. And that is the core, I would say, of the business. And we want that to grow. Definitely, those use cases, as you say, paying, you know, for bus tickets or paying for university fees, they drive relevance of Jumia for the consumers and they provide more opportunities for consumers to use it and especially more attractiveness to Jumia Pay, which is a core part of our strategy. So it's not one or the other, I would say. It's the combination of all that that drives the relevance and the growth of Jumia. And of course, mentioning also the food delivery, which for us is a core category 
doing very well, growing very well. We have an app called Jumia Food where consumers can order from restaurants and uh, also for grocery items and delivered within you know 30 minutes in the in the main cities. So that is also growing very well. I think it's a combination of the free that drives a, stra- a strong relevance and of course a stronger growth going forward. Just very quickly, what proportion of your sales are made via mobile versus perhaps desktop? Because as you see more and more people get mobile phones, I mean, I believe around 28% now of sub-Saharan Africa connected to the internet. As you see that percentage rise, that opens up the opportunity simply of more users. And to your point, everything feeds everything else. Definitely. And, and mobile, I mean, you know, we exist and Jumia has been able to thrive thanks to, to the mobile and to the internet access that, that the mobile has provided to millions of people. And we see, of course, the vast majority of our usage and the browsing and the buying happening on mobile. We see also some users who like to stay at home from the computer or from the office. So, you know, some users like to still do that. But definitely, I think the mobile has revolutionized uh, the way consumers in Africa, the way individuals and, and people access the services and access the internet. And certainly this is an opportunity for us to bring, you know, in the in the mobile phones of, of consumers, the ability mm. to buy product, but also to access all those services that uh, we mentioned earlier. And you're heading towards the holiday season as well. And Black Friday's big event here in the United States and in other places around the world. I believe Nigeria is also adopting it and it's going to be a big moment for you. How many people are you expecting to make purchases or are you hoping make purchases uh, in the marketplace and obviously businesses on board ready for that? Hopefully, hopefully we will beat our record, which, uh, you know, we just had our record quarter in Q3. And I, I think that, uh, you know, given that we have said we want to accelerate and we're confident about the acceleration, I, I'm hopeful that we can uh, beat our record in Q4. And certainly Black Friday is, is an opportunity for consumers to, to discover Jumia. And we have, uh, I would say, brought the event of Black Friday in our countries about nine years ago. And now uh, it's, uh, it's become a sort of shopping festival for consumers to, to find uh, the attraction products that they that they want to buy either for year-end or just to enjoy uh, you know to enjoy buying it for themselves and there are countries in Africa where you know the shopping holiday goes until uh, December but also into January because you've got a lot of consumers who will get for example their year-end bonus at the end of December and we've got also a lot of Muslim countries where we operate where Christmas is not of course celebrated mm. but nevertheless their year-end celebration so all in all, you know, there are lots of reasons for consumers to shop at the end of the year and until January. And there are some differences between the countries, but we certainly hope that the Black Friday uh, Jumia Festival will, will please a lot of consumers and will convince also a lot of consumers who have never transacted online to try for the first time. And we're certainly working hard to, uh, to making it happen. And this is also, you know, we are a marketplace. So this is the time for our sellers right. to, to do a lot of business. And our sellers have been suffering a lot with uh, COVID and with a lot of disruptions on the supply chain, etc. So we're certainly hoping that they will uh, do very well. And it's not just Dumia doing well here. It's, it's a lot of sellers and it's a lot of logistic partners who are uh, in this together to, 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 to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. Come back next month, please, and talk to us and uh, let us know how it goes. And we'll talk about those supply chain issues too. Sasha, Will always do. great to chat to you. Thank you. The co-founder Thank you, Julia. And co-CEO Take care. of Jumia there. You too. Thank you. All right, coming up here on First Move, the creator of Long Necky Ladies and Time Magazine's first ever artist in residence. And by the way, she's just 12 years old. That's next. Stay with us.
Welcome back to First Move. What do a brontosaurus, a 12-year-old digital artist and Times 100 Women of the Year have in common? Long necks or long neckies, to be precise. These incredible pieces were created by a 12-year-old Nyla Hayes, who is also Time's first ever artist in residence. Nyla has created digital versions of all 100 inspiring women with elongated necks inspired by her favorite dinosaur. And in the last hour, the collection has gone public for the first time and will be available to buy tomorrow. I began by asking Nyla how this moment feels. I'm like so honored and excited and like not many people get this opportunity so I'm like really really very special to me you know so yeah. <laughs> I think you're very, very special. special too. I mean people will be looking at these artwork and we'll show people all the different images. These are awe-inspiring women. This is incredible artwork. How long did it take you to do this? Well it was like definitely like the hardest thing I like ever done and it was like my first time working on a deadline and <laughs> it took me around a hour, one hour and a half to just make one piece. But because I had homes, I'm homeschooled. So I started school at around 6am. So in order to make everything work. So I was like very determined to get it done. So you had about three weeks, I believe, to get all this done. You had to fit it around your schoolwork, as you're saying. <laughs> You are 12 years old, let's just be clear. And as you said, you were facing your first deadline. Were you daunted? Were you, were you frightened? Were you, how did you overcome that? Well, at first I was really nervous, but you know, a lot of support from my mom really helped me through it because she's always been there for me. So you started drawing when you were four years old. Then you got to nine years old and your parents bought you a phone so that you could create digital art. And you started producing what we're looking at now, which is long neckies. Um, And the inspiration, I believe, for those was your favorite dinosaur was a brontosaurus, which obviously has the long neck. What do you love so much about brontosaurus? And then we'll talk about the women. (laughs) Well, I just really, really liked it, how like long and pretty her necks were. They were like really beautiful and strong to me so I just really liked that and at the time you know I was four so I didn't know what to call them so I just called them law neckies because that's how I knew (laughs) them from so (laughs) I basically just put that together with the woman because I think of women as like beautiful and strong so that's basically what I did and I just put the two together and I made the law neckies I mean, having a long, graceful neck in this case, elegance, power, I think that embodies some of the women, all of the women that you were drawing here. I mean, Princess Diana is one that jumps to mind. Coco Chanel, which was your favorite one? Um, That's a really hard question, but Mm. I have to say Frida Kahlo because, you know, I really think her art is, is like very inspiring and tells a story with it and I really like that and I want to do the same with my art so I really like Frida Kahlo. (laughs) The backdrop as well looks like floral confetti that was what I thought when I first saw that an explosion of floral confetti. Um, The real game changer here though was non-fungible tokens because you were creating your long neckies but I assume just your family friends were seeing your artwork suddenly then your uncle comes in and says hey there's this thing called nfts non-fungible tokens and 
that allowed more people then to see your art and people started to recognize your talent and buy your art. Yeah. It was like um, around March, I believe, when he talked to my mom about NFTs because, like you said, my family just were like the only people who actually knew about my art. And I, they knew that I wanted to do something with my art, but they didn't know what to do or we didn't know what to do with it. But yeah, so he found NFTs and he thought it'd be like a really cool idea for me to put my art as an NFT. So that's what we did. <laughs> and and just just remind me how much money you have made from selling your art, Nyla. Mm-hmm. I I think I gener I think my art generated around four million dollars. But Wow yeah. <laughs> Nyla, you're a millionaireess. How does that feel? It feels crazy actually. Crazy. It feels like unreal, <laughs> but yeah. So I'm sure, given that you've mentioned her a few times, your mother's going to have something to say about how you spend some of this money. But if you were allowed to spend the money on anything, something, what would you buy? Yeah. What would you do? Like, most definitely a trip to South Korea, because, like, I'm a like, huge K-pop fan. My favorite group is Stray Kids, and my bias is Hunjin. He was actually an amazing artist himself. So... That would be like really, really cool if I got to do that. <laughs> what does your mom think about that? Uh, I don't know, honestly. I think she's <laughs> cool with it. <laughs> but it, you're just talking about visiting on a trip. You're not talking about moving there. Or would you actually quite like to move there one day? Well, that's why I'm taking a trip so I can see if I want to move there. But yes. I'm Smart. thinking about it. Yeah, get older. <laughs> wow. And I hope there's some... Um, k-pop bands watching this because i'm sure they're going to have pay attention to some of your art as well have you drawn any of them no but i want to i really do i've often seen you discussed as being an inspiration yourself to uh young african-american women whether they're going and want to go into something in the digital sphere or otherwise do you see yourself as an inspiration to them and who would you like to be an inspiration for Honestly, I want to be like an inspiration for everyone because, right. you know, I'm like a really shy, like introverted type of person. So I, but I'm not going to let that stop me really from following my dreams. So I want people to look at me and say, well, if she can do it, then I can do it basically. Right. So that's how I want to be an inspiration to. I want to be an inspiration to everyone. What do you want to be when you grow up? Is this the future? being an artist well yeah I think so I really really like drawing and doing art so I think that's what I'm going to be when I'm an adult and I really want to keep on inspiring people with my art even when I'm an adult so yeah I think I want to be artist. (laughs) I have to say I feel like you're more adult than me quite frankly you're you're an inspiration I cannot believe you're you're almost a teenager you're going to be 13 I believe in January so um We'll reconvene and see what you're doing at that point. But for now, I just want us both to um, pretend we're long necky women. So we, I'm going to count to three and then we have to create our longest necks. We're going to create an NFT oh, of okay. this. Okay. Three, two, yeah. one. <laughs> Nyla, thank you. Big heart to you. Congratulations. It's an amazing day. A superstar. Okay, still ahead. Jumbo size stores. 
Oversized earnings. The titans of the U.S. retailing world are out with their latest results and consumers are still buying in bulk. Details just ahead. Welcome back to First Move. Call it a big box bonanza, Walmart and Home Depot are out with impressive Q3 earnings. And Paula Monica joins me now. Paul, great to have you with us. What stood out for me was how optimistic Walmart was about the holiday season. Compare and contrast with Amazon, who were relatively downbeat. What's going on? Yeah, I think, Julia, what you have here is that the return to normalcy that we have with more people being vaccinated and venturing out is helping physical retailers like Walmart and Home Depot. Obviously, they have a digital presence, too. But many people are back out shopping in physical stores and you're seeing traffic up at Walmart and that is helping. They're also investing in trying to use some of their own shipping to get a lot of these more of these products over from Asia that are snarled in uh, you know ports around the world. So that's something that's hurting smaller retailers. But big box companies like Walmart and Home Depot aren't facing as many of these logistical supply chain challenges. Obviously, Amazon isn't either, but yeah. Yeah, I get it. Retail stores footprint is helping them and their scale in order to mitigate supply chain issues. Thank you for that. Paula Monica, made you very quick today. I apologize for squeezing you. We will get you back for a longer session later this week. Thank you. That's it for the show. Stay safe. I talk too much. Connect the world with Becky Anderson is next. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.